Hello world. Hey. Hi. 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 Hello. Hello. Hi. It's like I forgot not to say hello. <laughs> Hey, hey, and welcome to this week's episode of Life with Kaka. I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. However you found the show, welcome. I am so glad you're here doing this live thing with me. Does anyone else feel like they blinked and it's somehow July? You know, this month is extra special because this month on July 9th, we will celebrate one year of the podcast. What? <laughs> Crazy, right? I did not think... Uh, it was going to fly by so quickly, but here we are. I am so excited to share my talk with Rishi Rajani. He is the president of Film and TV at Hilmengrad Productions, Lena Waits Production He's also a voracious book reader. I ask him what the title of his life memoir would be. You'll have to stay till the end to hear what he said. So Rishi was born in London, raised in upstate New York and Portland, Oregon, and he discovered his love for producing while studying at NYU. He got his start in the Book Scout division of 20th Century Fox before moving to LA and working in the mailroom at UTA. His love for literature and reading helped him shine as an assistant and eventually as an executive. He admits that while the assistant path is challenging, it's one he recommends. He moved his way up in the industry very quickly. By 2018, before the ripe age of 30, he became president at Lena Waite's company, and they have been breaking ground since then. Alongside Lena, Rishi, and Alex Phillips, what, what, shout out to Alex, who's a CE over there, they're dedicated to giving new filmmakers a voice and to creating content that pushes the culture forward in some shape or form. So this week, we dig into his humble beginnings, discuss how to level up if you've been on the grind for some time, and dive deep into the changes we hope to see on the other side of the Black Lives Matter movement. So without further ado, let us hear from Rishi. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and chatting. Like You've been on my radar for a while. We actually have crossed paths multiple times, but we've never actually had a conversation. So serendipitous serendipitous and here we are what a time to be alive mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's um i think it's been so interesting for me in the past few weeks especially as like you know i i had thought i think previously that i'm like i'm a person of color i'm politically engaged i know things about the world and i think in the last like two months i've realized exactly how little i know mm -hmm. about a lot of things and have been i think the last few weeks obviously you know continuing to work on everything as a producer and in running Hellman grad and keeping the ship running, but also feeling like I'm in a bit of a cycle of like reeducation and yeah. continuing to sort of, you know, for example, even like things like, you know, defunding the police. Like, I don't think I really fully understood what that meant until about a month ago. And, you know, have, have come to understand that, you know, even within the context of our industry, there are a lot of connections to institutions that have existed in our country for a very long time. For example, every single film and TV budget <laughs> having a line item for the police yeah. being a very interesting aspect of it, too. And uh, money you don't really get back, right. usually, right? <laughs> when you overpay for the police. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, I mean, there's connections to everything and following the money trails and protesting. And, you know, it's like media has such a massive impact on everything. And mm -hmm. I think it was also crazy in actually attending protests and then going home and watching CNN and finding that the actual event that I was at that I saw with my own eyes is being misconstrued in a way to feed this 24 hour news cycle. Um, not to get too kind of wildly political off the bat, but yeah. it's just, that's it's where, my, to, though, that's where days, my mind right? has been. That's a lot of what I've been thinking a lot about. Yeah, um, it doesn't even feel like politics anymore though. Right. It just feels like this is just life now. Totally. You know, it's like COVID. It's like, you can't just not talk about it at right. some point. It just comes up. Oh, for sure. You know? And I, I, I think for all its falls, it's like a good thing. We should, we should have been talking about this a long time ago. It's unfortunate mm -hmm. the circumstances that have, that have taken to get us here. But here we are, nonetheless. You know? Totally. I mean, it feels like probably the most positive thing to come out of COVID is people yeah. actually taking a step back and learning things. And, you know, fingers crossed, we all come out of it, like being a little bit more educated about yeah. the way our institutions work and where institutions came from and how we can continue to change things and shape our country to be in a better place. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to dig into that from the perspective of Hillman Grad and for you individually, how this movement is reshaping how you guys yeah. are doing things here internally. Cause I feel like, you know, Lena and her MO and Hillman, of course, like 
already is so much a part of this conversation that totally it's like how much deeper can y'all even go you know what i mean because i feel like lena and a lot of people have been spearheading a lot of this inclusion and diversity conversation for, sure. for a very long time so um but for now take us back to the beginning yeah um i guess like my sort of quick backstory is um you know that i was born in london um both my parents were born in africa my mom was born in Uganda. My dad was born in Malawi. They're the, the demographic of South Asians that went India to Africa to the UK. Um, and then, you know, we moved to the US when I was three. Lived in both upstate New York and Portland, Oregon. I didn't really know much about the film business at all. I didn't really know that it was a job. I knew I liked movies. In some ways, I think I actually probably liked books better than I liked movies mm. at the time. I was a very sheltered kid. Um, <laughs> uh, didn't see an R-rated movie until I was literally 17. So. <laughs> Um, but I think there were, there was something that happened when I ended up going to NYU for school. Mm-hmm. I went to, I was in the business program at NYU and I like went to Smart go be an, an investment banker. Like that was like the, yeah. that was the trajectory. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, well I'll go do this and I'll go to wall street and I'll make a crazy amount of money. And then I'll get to retire at 35 and do whatever mm-hmm. I want to do with my life. Um, and I think there was a certain part of me that was like, Oh, that's the plan. That's the trajectory. I'm just going to keep going and going and going down that path. Um, very quickly realized, I think that there's on the sort of like the finance path, there wasn't a whole lot of building that was being done. Everything felt very intangible. Um, and I love storytelling. Like I grew up like reading voraciously and I think there, you know, in sort of in going to, NYU, I mean, obviously the good part about it is that it's such a renowned film school. And I, so I was exposed to kids doing that. Um, but also exposed to sort of, I think, like a, a good reminder about like the sort of power of media. And I think for me, a lot of where my sort of um, love of film, you know, it started as, as a love of storytelling. But then I just like fell in love with sort of movies that were opening up to meet different worlds and like a very early early point it was like a lot of wish fulfillment stuff and yeah. movies like spy kids and never ending story and uh, the indian in the cupboard mm. and those types of pictures <laughs> that really captured my imagination but then growing up and and getting older it was like sort of i mean like you have all your classics indies that everyone falls in love with whether it's eternal sunshine yeah. or those pictures but you know it was realizing that there's a real power in storytelling for the masses and that you can kind of introduce people to new worlds and actually give them a sense of, you know, of of understanding a new place, a new location, a new kind of person. Um, And I love that. And I love that aspect. And so I started just looking for weird, odd jobs in New York to try and break into the film industry and (laughs) did everything from, you know, working at a, uh, an off Broadway show doing film sales work, which is not something I really quite understood how to do at the age of 19 <laughs> to, um, you know, I worked with, I was a receptionist slash transcriber at in Morgan Spurlock's company, warrior poets. I picked up a real estate license. I was did all the slinging things. apartments and doing yeah. all that stuff. But, um, what was great is that I ended up eventually getting an internship with 20th Century Fox in New York in their book to film division when they were, you know, buying and optioning books like Gone Girl and The Martian, those kinds of properties. And that was a really cool thing for me because as being a book lover as a kid, understanding that there is an aspect of like book to film and that being a sector of the industry, everything kind of clicked in a way. Where I was like, okay, you can tell story stories and you can, you know, read books and turn them into movies. But again, it's like that sort of like that mass appeal of storytelling overall. Hmm. And yeah, I mean, that was really what was like the the engine for my career, I think. And then when you were in there, was it clear that this is a producer, this is what they do? And you're like, that's the path? Uh, not at all. <laughs> I think I was like, oh, oh, this is the studio system. And I think even, you know, it was a very particular division, which is one of the few divisions that are still in New York, which was, you know, their book scouting division run by this amazing guy named Drew Reed. And, um, and, you know, over there was Chris Goldberg, who I went on to work for and work with over at Studio 8 and Xander Bauman. And those are my first sort of introductions to 
like the studio system itself mm-hmm. and you know because they would be constantly talking to producers that had fox deals and scouting books and bringing things in and so I, it was funny in that like we you know fox would you know option gone girl for example and I'd be like great when do we go get to get to go make the movie <laughs> and they're like oh we don't do that like producers do that and the studio does that and i was like oh well i want to go do that and they were like cool you need to go to los angeles and i was like okay which I was like very loath to leave New York city, mm-hmm. but, um, they were amazing. And, you know, Drew and Chris and all those guys, like they, they made a bunch of phone calls on my behalf. And so when I went to like, I did like a week tour out of here where I put on my suit and <laughs> went to go visit all these producers and do interviews at all the various agencies and ended up getting into the mailroom at UTA. And that was like, again, like the next step to me, like, Oh, there's a much larger world that I'm just beginning to understand. Mm-hmm in the film and TV business. And I mean, I'm like, I'm such a proponent of the mailroom path because it like, I feel like I learned so much from it. Um, and also just like met so many people and a lot of, you know, connections with people that I still talk to. I've met literally in the mailroom at UTA. Yeah. If I could go back and if this podcast existed and I knew then (laughs) what I know now, like I wish I had spent a year on a desk, you know, because that's, I've just been sort of hustling and kind of finding my way, right. elbowing my way into things and opportunities. Totally. And that's a, a wonderful path. I'm not like poo-pooing on that because I'm here and I've built a lot for myself, but I wish I had had that insight, you know? Totally. And I feel like it's like, I'm a little too old now to go back and do that. It's almost <laughs> like, all right, calm down. I think you're going to be just fine. <laughs> yeah. Because um, the funny part about that is I actually feel the complete opposite a lot of times where I never really did like the PA thing. Mm. And yeah. so sometimes I feel like when I'm on set, I'm like, ah, I kind of wish I had like done that and being able to understand sets from the ground level up. Cause I've only understood them coming in as a producer or coming in as a studio executive. Yeah. And that I think it, you know, I, I, you almost like don't get like the respect points of it's being, of being like, like there, there is, and having done it. Yes. There is this sort of like divide. It's like West side story between the creative <laughs> and production. And I, I think it's unfortunate, you know, I think that everybody would be better off if everybody kind of helped each other a little bit because right. in the same way that you're coming in sort of not having this wealth of experience and knowledge of nuances of the set, like the other side is also not understanding where you're coming from and your needs. And so there's like this, like, kind of standoff sometimes I find right. just completely unnecessary to the process but it is a grass is always greener situation I find because a lot of people who totally come the other side often tell me that like oh I wish I had da, 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 exactly what you oh, just for said sure. so you can't ever win you know you just gotta no totally <laughs> I mean going. like I, when I was on you know because my, my first real production that I went and got demand was when I started with Lena, we did Boomerang season one and it was, we were shooting in Atlanta for three months and a lot of it was me going there and just asking a bunch of questions and literally like continuing to ping our producing director is this amazing guy named David Warren. And I would just be like, well, I don't understand why you're doing this or explain this to me, explain that to me. Um, and I think like one of the things that I have found is that people tend to respect you a lot more when you you know, are very explicit about things that you don't know about (laughs) versus trying to pretend that you are, because I'm the executive producer on this show, I happen to know every single thing about every aspect of production because that's just not true. It's respect and it's also humbling because nobody gets here knowing, right? And unless you've been in the trenches of a specific portion of the industry, like how would you know? Right. Right. Like, totally. how, like how you just, you don't just magically. And even if you read about it in a book, like, right. you, you haven't been on the ground to actually see how it's done. And I, I agree, like as someone who did come up in physical production, it's humbling and a breath of fresh air to have people totally. who are like, Hey, I'm not too familiar with this. Like how yep. is this done? Because it levels the playing field and it makes you feel like, Oh, it's okay not to know everything, Totally. but it's about how you navigate not knowing that and the questions you ask and are you willing to learn? Right. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm definitely still learning oh, that. You, I mean, every, yeah anybody who claims they've got it figured out like run away because it's you're flying by the seat of your pants yeah production yeah. is just rolling with the punches all <laughs> yeah. day so i think there's tremendous value in that so so then you moved to la and then you started yep. in the mail room and then worked your way up as an assistant yeah and so as an assistant to um this incredible woman named dana specter um and she was in the book to film division there mm-hmm. um and book to tv and she it, it was so funny because her desk opened up the day 
I got to UTA and I was like, Oh my God, I have to do this because my whole background was in book to film and I love that. And, and so had to very much, um, sort of like, because they, they had a very strict rule at UTA that you go through the mailroom program and then you have to take a test at the end of this 30 day period it's called the UTA university. And I just knew that I was right for that job. And, I'd sort of asked and they were like, well, no, you can't really apply to go be on a desk yet. You haven't been here for 30 days. It was literally day one. <laughs> and so, and Dana still makes fun of me for this, but I like went in and I was to her office and I was so nervous. I was literally trembling. I was just like, I, you don't know me, but <laughs> you know, I did this. I worked at Fox. I know how to do that. I know how to do rights checks. I understand the book world. And she was like, all good. You can interview. <laughs> and I did, and it ended up being perfect and a great fit, and she ended up hiring me. I was only at UTA for like four months wow. um, because she got asked to go um, you know, go head up and work in the book-to-film division at Paradigm. And so I went with her to Paradigm and was there. And you know that, again, was like a sort of like a, a really incredible experience in sort of getting to read a lot of things, like understand what Dana was taking on, what she wasn't taking on, why and why not. Um, and again, getting a breadth of knowledge and intellectual property and how those deals work. Yeah. But still there was that drive for me to be like a, a producer and to go be on set and going to go make things. And so ultimately instead of, you know, sticking around to becoming a book agent, I went over to become Chris Goldberg's assistant over at studio eight. Um, and there was that fun connection point of him having been at mm. Fox when I was an intern there yeah. and then being the one to hire me as an assistant out here in it's LA. It's just that amazing thing of how small the industry totally. is and like be nice to people, not because it's like you never know who they're going to become, but right. because you just want to be a nice, good person. Oh, totally. Right? Like that seems so <laughs> obvious, but it's baffling. Oh, man, the, the don't be an asshole rule of Hollywood is such an important one. I know, but we have to keep repeating everyone it. comes back. Everyone comes back. Yep. Like it's... Yeah. Oh man, it's yeah. such like a, and I feel like even now too, like anyone who was even like slightly an asshole to me when I was an assistant or like, I still hold like a black mark against them in my head. I'm like, well, because still there's no the, need for right, that. You exactly. I mean? It's like a choice and oh, that's totally. like hard to forgive. But what I don't understand, it's like, haven't they been around long enough right. to understand how this works? Mm-hmm. Like it should be in their best interest totally. to kiss their assistant's butts right. if you're asking me. Like, oh, for sure. But what do I know? It's all, uh. <laughs> It is important. And especially what's interesting too is, I mean, it was so baffling to me to read uh, as of, I was looking at the UCLA diversity report mm-hmm. in 2020. I said that 93% of senior executives at buyers and studios and networks who have buying power are white. And so there's this other interesting aspect of that. I feel like when I was coming up and I think it's still sort of the case now a lot of executive uh, executives have assistants of color and like assistants who look a little bit different than the kind of top brass demographic too. Mm-hmm. And I found that a very interesting thing, an aspect of coming up and looking around and seeing a lot more of those people that were assistants that I came up with now becoming executives, becoming VPs at places that happen to be different and, you know, from sort of, diverse backgrounds that haven't been necessarily as part of the Hollywood ecosystem before. But at the same time, I think you look at that, that top level and it's still super white. And so it's like, cool. So like assistants are more colorful, you know, junior executives are more colorful, but now I think we got to break through that ceiling and get, you know, people of color and, and sort of, you know, people that haven't necessarily had that representation yeah but i think it's only a matter of time right i hope so it always cycles out and hopefully it's like as the top tier people retire or go do something else or elect to step down totally give space for the people that should rise up which would be Mm -hmm. my vote um would speak more than standing in solidarity totally uh, air quotes you know like I, i think that's the right move in my book and so hopefully in the next five to ten years that top echelon will look more representative of the marketplace totally and yeah and like i i do hope you know that people are sort of looking at the assistants and junior executives that are at buyers that happen to be from different backgrounds a little bit differently now and saying oh like you know your opinion is valuable like we want to know what you're watching what you're liking what Mm -hmm. you're loving 
Because otherwise, if you do kind of maintain that same level, and it does feel like we see a lot of shifting around of older white executives going from one studio to another studio to another right. studio to another studio, that we can... Yeah, I, like I do hope that like the current state of events is actually shifting mentalities in that way. Because yeah. once they do, once you have people with buying power that do understand a specific perspective, then all of a sudden we're actually going to get more content yeah. that is of that nature. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. What do you feel like is a big misconception people may have about the assistant journey? I think we often hear horror stories about how hard it is and there are some pretty bad situations out there. But I think that for all of the negatives that we can hear, I'd love to hear some of the positives and then some, you know, things that others may not know about what it's like to be on the inside. So I think what people forget about the assistant life is that it really is an apprenticeship. Like it's an apprenticeship based industry. And I think it's one of the the few apprenticeship based industries that still exist where yes, you have to do all the dry cleaning and scheduling and all the assistant bullshit stuff. But at the same time, like the gold mine of being an assistant is listening to your boss's calls and being a part of every interaction they make. And I think if you are you know, ambitious and, and an assistant, you're taking note of the way they talk to talent. You're, taking note of the, their interactions with buyers, their the way they give notes. Um, and so that when you come out of it, which is something that I came out of because I worked for amazing people, I had like a really fundamental understanding of how to do the job of an executive. And I think sometimes that gets like forgotten yeah. uh, or, or left out of the equation that yes, like no one likes being an assistant. Like it's not <laughs> the most fun job ever, yeah. but there is a massive amount of education that one can have and yeah. one applies themselves to. And it's, you know, if you're the kind of assistant that you know, reads everything that your boss is getting in, like being able to pay attention, be able to contribute, making, life easier for them, then you also become like an incredible value add and an asset and can move up at a lot of companies too, Mm -hmm. because people just don't want to let you go. Um, so I think like for all of the, like the annoying parts of being an assistant to me, it's, I didn't know anything before I was an assistant and it became my grad school. Um, and being an assistant at agency was its own grad school being an assistant at a studio was its own grad school. And so I think it's just wildly important and, something that I think, uh, you know, a lot of credit needs to be given to it as, as a path. Yeah. And and I think it's also like, it is part of our new year stripes. I think the parallel would be, you know, the PA is no different really. Like you kind of walk in green most of the time, even if you have the right contacts, it's all about the, the energy and the hustle you're going to bring to that and being aware in the production sense, right? It's like, can you be just hyper aware of what everybody needs at all time and know when actually to step in and just be available and have like the good energy. And then eventually people go, where's that one PA that always gets shit done. And then that's how you move up. It's by having a good attitude and just showing up with the best of intentions and saying yes to everything that is asked of you, especially in the beginning, right? When you're totally getting to help all sorts of different departments and you get to go, ah, art department, this random weird job here. I didn't know existed. (laughs) That's what I want to do. Like, and that's, sure. and, that, and I think I, I start, I've realized this recently that I find production to be the closest like parallel we have in the industry to the American dream mm-hmm. because you can kind of start in at the ground level, right? We yep. don't do background checks. So it's kind of <laughs> like anybody's welcome to the party. It's just totally. the barrier to entry. And once you're in, it's like you can create whatever path you want by who you choose to be and the work ethic you're going to bring to the table. Oh, for sure. For all the faults of our industry, I do find that to be a very inspiring, noble thing to do totally to your point i think assistants to me are sort of like the other side of that mirror yeah you know and there's and there's a real opportunity in being an assistant to continue to prove that you're not just an assistant yeah and i think in the same way that you're saying about you know being the pa that takes initiative it's like when you're the assistant that comes in the morning having read the three project drafts that came in the day before and being able to tell your boss very explicitly like what your thoughts were on each one what you're feeling about them all of a sudden that is like a massive load off of your boss's plate yeah. where it's just like having a second brain there and, exactly. and like those opinions matter and and i think like the best the best bosses are the ones that actually pay attention to what their assistants are liking and reading and watching 
because we all get you know out of touch <laughs> yeah exactly well and then it's usually a younger generation too mm-hmm. right that's got a very different point of view on things that yep. is, needs to be listened to i think the moment you think you know everything is when you're kind of screwed totally <laughs> you know so then okay the assistant path it doesn't sound like you were doing that very long because by the time you you started up over yeah, here so you that were was... not even 30 is that right from what <laughs> that's, read? that is correct <laughs> people um, love to use that like Oh yeah, no, just like just, just the that that that, that you cross spin, that line, yeah, right? The no. little like slug. Um, no, I had like I had a very charmed path in, in yeah. terms of like I I became you know I got out of the mailroom very quickly. I got out of the agency system very quickly. I spent a year as an assistant at a studio before getting the bump up to creative executive and. I think there was like a, a pretty good combination of hard work and just being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Um, which I think is kind of like that perfect mix of, <laughs> of how anyone's careers make it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And I think like fundamentally I really took to heart, especially at the studio, you know, in terms, in terms of tracking and reading and especially like uh, looking at the book world as my, the, like you know the place where i'm I'm choosing to put my stamp and mm-hmm. and that was great because it gave me uh, an identity i guess and yeah. and something to to market myself off of like i can be the book guy and, <laughs> and that's cool and so that's what i think helped me a lot in terms of in actually bringing in things that we were able to go after yeah. at, as a company and ultimately option like that's where I started to to really shine as an executive and you know being a junior executive of a studio is hard as well in its own way and I think people sort of forget I think people think like oh once you make the jump from assistant to executive like everything gets easier in a lot of ways it kind of doesn't when you're a junior executive of a studio mm. it just means that people trust you more and therefore they're putting a lot more on your plate and it's becomes like oh read this spec read that spec you know what are your thoughts on this do what are your you know do notes on this like be the notes taker in all meetings and on pitches and draft things up and be sort of like the front line of defense on any piece of material that comes into the company. And again, it's a hard job, but one in which if you prove yourself and continue to like sort of take initiative and both be really, really good as a junior executive and covering projects for your bosses and building out lists and mm-hmm. doing a veil checks and all that stuff, as well as, you know, being someone that is developing things with young writers on your own, um, taking shots on things, continuing to bring in interesting material to to the senior executives to to go tackle together. Again, you become that that value yeah. add. And I think the, the thing for me is that, you know, I did that for a few years at Studio Eight and it was a really it was a really, really great and educational experience, but I did want more autonomy. I mm-hmm. did want to be able to do my own thing a little bit more. And so when the Lena job opportunity came along, it was like a, it was a huge, it was a huge moment for me in my yeah. life and my career because it was like, Oh, here's the opportunity to build something from the ground up and to be part of something new and, and to kind of like delve into a startup production company. And so I went into that interview, like again, like completely terrified <laughs> and like it was, I came with like I think like a literal folder, like in a Manila folder, with a bunch of different lists and ideas and game plans and strategies, and just spread them all out on the table at this coffee shop that Lee and I were <laughs> at. And I think you know it was it was an awesome meeting because I think what we really connected on was this theme of protest art and this idea that we want to be making content that pushes the culture forward in some way, shape, or form. And that I think for us was like that was the moment we were like okay we're a good match we're a good fit we're yeah. gonna be a good team um let's go take over the world and yeah. so it's crazy but that, it wasn't that long it was no. two and a bit years ago yeah and you guys have accomplished so much together yeah what is it about you you think that makes you so uniquely good at what you do so this is a self-promotion yeah, no it's a, it's an question. interesting question i i mean ultimately everything comes becomes about your taste right yeah and so i just read everything mm-hmm. um i because i grew up reading everything i love i love just super unique stories and super unique narratives but i think because i've read so much i can also tell what is actually fresh yeah and what is actually distinct because i think i've read pretty much every iteration of everything under the sun and to me, like that's where it all stems from. I think if I wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't 
a reader in that way, I wouldn't sort of know narrative structure as well as I do. I wouldn't understand what makes a story compelling and emotional as well as I do. The other thing that I, I think I'm, I, I managed to gain in high school was I was a big speech and debate kid. Mm. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I went from, you know, not being able to articulate myself as well and to be able to actually argue for a thing to be able to, by the end of high school and end of like a long run of doing weekly sort of competitions and learning to get up in front of people and not be afraid of that that became a pretty instrumental aspect yeah. of everything for me too, because it's one thing to read something and love it. It's another thing to go into a group of uh, skeptical Hollywood people and convince them that it is beautiful and as special as you yeah. think it is. And so it's a bit of like a, you know, analyzing and understanding a great piece of material and then turning around to be able to sell it and, and, and be a fighter and an advocate for it. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of, people kind of fall short as they cannot communicate their enthusiasm and their passion as yeah. to why this should exist. Totally. Um, and if it just lives up here, it's, it's hard to corral everyone to get on board, especially when you are taking creative risks and for sure, unfortunate that it's called a risk. It shouldn't even be considered a risk. It should just be, Hey, let's create stories that represent the world that we're living totally. in. But I, I, I can see how that is probably something that unbeknownst to you has set you apart and gets pulled in with what you call right. luck. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, and also, like, uh, <laughs> I'd like to also point out that neither of those skill sets have anything to do with actually the mechanics or practicalities of production or shooting anything or knowledge of filmmaking as But they never do. Form, it's the taste thing you speak of, I think, is so embedded in like just who you are and your right. life experiences. And that's why I love doing this, sh- this podcast is because everybody's journey is so unique because it's, truly just about who you right. are and what you bring to the table under this umbrella of producing that is so convoluted and complex oh, and totally. you know defining it is impossible even within the industry it's still right. hard to be no, like exactly like what is a producer what is a producer like what did i do on this project How, okay but it's different than this other pro- it's like right. every time it gets redefined and while that can be frustrating i think it's also exhilarating because it keeps totally. you constantly like on your game i mean i think about that all the time in regards to even talking to people about this job and this career path where people are like well what is your what is like your 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 nine to five look like and i'm like well literally every single day it's different like every single day it's different every single day it's a pitch or going through a budget or working through notes on a script and like it does make the job i think very exciting and it's mm-hmm. it's never a mundane career because every single day you come in and be like okay this is the checklist of things I need to get accomplished today. I'm probably going to get maybe a third of it done, but I'm going to try my best. And hopefully by the end of the day, we'll help inch closer to production on this slate of things. Yep. And yep. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll eventually get there. Yeah. I mean, the fact that anyone ever gets anything produced is always like a miracle. It's to a miracle. Me. One that it gets to production and then yeah. that it makes its way alive out totally. of production is a miracle. It's like everything is a tiny little miracle that adds right. up to a big one. But it's the power of this art form that is so collaborative that for, like I said, when I get very frustrated by all of it and I'm like, hmm, what else could I do? It's like, I remember the collaboration is right. part of what I love and, and the power and responsibility we have as storytellers to shape perspectives and shape ideas. And, you know, someone said this to me the other day that filmmaking is the ultimate act of community service. Mm, I like that. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, that's true. I'm going to steal that. But it wasn't <laughs> my words, but it's like you, you constantly are giving back. So the art we create it makes its way to every nook and cranny of our world. The culture we export touches so many people thus the importance of what we are choosing to make especially in this moment i mean like the consequences or ramifications of the art that we put out and put out in a big broad way are so massive yeah and it like everything from the actual sort of like social message in the movie and the themes to even literally who's in the movie and who gets to be considered the hero of a movie and the hero of the story um, it's all big, and that's so funny to also think about for me, like all the influences that I had as a kid. All the heroes were white, every single one of them. But yeah. it didn't stop me from loving Luke Skywalker and Indiana right. Jones. But it did. It is kind of interesting to look back on you know the way that I viewed my own self worth as a kid mm. in comparison to white people 
in you know in in then in understanding how that was affected by the media that i was mm. consuming growing up do you remember a distinct point in your development where it became clear to you that yeah you see someone with a different skin color but it never occurred to you why that narrative gets repeated right and then you finally oh, get yeah. to understand like do you remember that moment I mean, I think I had that moment really late. Like, I feel like I started to think about it in college mm -hmm. and the understanding of why I felt certain ways about myself and why I felt certain ways about other people. And I, I, I ended up, because I grew up in such a majority white place in, in a suburb of Portland, Oregon. That <laughs> was, um, you know, but it doesn't occur to you. Like, I don't think any kid, like starts out being like oh i'm different than everybody else right. like that that's not necessarily the viewpoint but you just get this consumption of all this media and i can't even imagine being a kid now with social media as well being I like an ad additional imagine. impact on all of that yeah but yeah i i don't know that it that i really kind of like fully comprehended it until probably i was out here and i was understanding what we were doing and what we were putting out and the engine that was hollywood and kind of being like wait this sucks <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to keep being a part of this particular yeah. business. I want to be doing things that are different. I want to be providing representation in a different way. And that for me, I think a lot of in coming over here to Hellman grad has been, what's been so exciting is that I do get to pursue stories that would have been quote unquote niche right. like five years ago. Yeah. It's crazy how fast it, it is shifting though. I do feel like the progress totally. we've made so far is so incredible and I, I personally feel excited and inspired to see where things will be five, 10 years from now. I yeah. think that we're on to something. We're living a historical moment in, in our journey as like a human race. Totally. One thing that I, I do sort of distinctly remember from my childhood, something that I was thinking about recently, which is such a crazy thought was that when I was, when I read books as a kid, I know books have been such a theme of my life, but when I was reading, when I read books, I would imagine the characters in my head as white, which I also like thought about lately. And I was like, Whoa, that it's is so actually nuts. And then actually yeah. whenever a film, an adaptation of a book, you know, decided to cast the character as a person of color, then my head was white. That was like a like, Whoa, I didn't think about that character in that way, yeah. which is nuts. Like it's just it's baffling bonkers, in right? so many ways. Yeah. But yes, uh, I do think that things are changing. And I actually think like as much as like we rag on social media, I think I've seen social media being used in a really incredible way in the yeah. last few weeks in terms of the spread of information oh, gosh, and yeah. education and that kind of thing too. Yeah. I'm sure it's all echo chambers in terms of who's actually reading those things. And, True. You know, but I think but. that it does. I think if we're going to have anything be repetitive, then let's yeah. keep repeating this message. And oh, then for sure. Put it into practice outside of the social media bubble in those hard conversations we need to have with certain people in our lives totally. that are not in those bubbles with us and kind of bring them into the fold as much as we can. Um, you don't have to answer this now, but I would love to hear if you, uh, had to name your memoir since you're a big book guy what would the title of it be oh my god <laughs> my memoir <laughs> you can think on it and come back to me at the all end. right all right yeah I'll, I'll think if on it, it. anything comes up <laughs> yeah um so much of my show is about talking about the messy parts the hard parts of people's journeys and i'm personally obsessed with like because so much of my journey has been a struggle and yeah. you know i mean i immigrated here when i was nine and to the states and like Everything has been, well, I now realize even as an immigrant, I do appear white and thus I have tremendous, you know, privileges in right. that of itself. But like there has been a lot of hurdles. And so I always get obsessed with how people in our business find the strength to keep going when so much is constantly against you, it feels. And so I'm curious, like, if there's been any situation specifically or pockets of time where you've been in these challenges and how you've obviously gotten through them because here you are thriving so. <laughs> <laughs> oh man specific challenges i mean there's a lot i think there i definitely went through like a pretty significant period of frustration in the studio system in falling in love with things and falling in love with the projects and falling in love with voices that you know would get rejected and it's not even necessarily that i'm like Oh, like screw these people working at the company above me. But I think like now and looking back and understanding the infrastructure and how, why I was kind of continually getting shot down mm -hmm. on idea after idea 
that again, like a few years ago would have felt like a strange bet for a studio to make. But in my like heart, those were the movies and stories that I wanted to mm-hmm. make too. So I think there was definitely like a period of like push and pull of being like, okay, how do I, uh, you know, shape my own journey, my own narrative, my own voice, my own taste also be making sure that I'm a good employee and catering to the tastes and needs of a company that I was in. And I I don't know if I'm always like, if I'm the best person with authority, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) like I sometimes really push back hard on things. And so I think that a lot of it is, just like learning how to be, you know, in, in that context, like learning how to play the game a little bit yeah. in terms of being in Hollywood and knowing that you have to put the pieces together. You have to come in with a real battle plan. You have to know about like what, how much movies cost to be able to like come in with a fundamental understanding and an argument of why a thing deserves to get made. And it can't just be because I like it and <laughs> yeah. and that's why I want to make it. And so that, I mean, that was like sort of, I think a lot of the struggle of, of coming up for me. And I think now and sort of stepping into my own a little bit here at Hellman grad, I mean, the struggle has been learning how to be a good manager and it's like the opposite side of the coin when yeah. it's like, how do I build out something here that is, a company that is a safe space in which younger executives can grow and be able to actually, you know, pursue things that they're excited about and passionate about. How do I also like, you know, make sure that everyone's happy and keep yeah. the peace and keeping all sort of the engines running and the lights on in a place. And now it's sort of on me to balance, I think in my head a little bit of like the, the constant battle in Hollywood, which is, you know, sort of money versus creative. It's, I think it's sort of a thing that I still struggle with a little bit in terms of being like, okay, well, we really, really love this thing, but what's the bet on it? Like, what are we willing to put ourselves out on? Like, what are we paying for? Do we believe in it enough to fight for it for the next five yeah. years? And the growing pains for me have been both learning, how to, like I said, learning how to be a good manager, learning how to 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 make very sort of perceptive decisions on the content that we take on and also just like owning when mistakes are made. Not everything is going to work and sometimes you're just going to totally fuck up on a thing (laughs) or you're going to make the wrong decision on set or, you know, like, you know, you just have to roll with it. And I think like, I, I feel like I was definitely sort of someone that came up as a more of like a perfectionist and have like a ton of anxiety and stress and pressure and put myself anytime anything wasn't going exactly according to plan, but that's just what you can't do that as a producer because <laughs> quite frankly, nothing goes according nothing, to plan yeah. ever. And, and so, yeah, I think it's been a lot of learning and, you know, growing even like when I thought I knew a thing and realizing I fundamentally didn't actually understand this aspect of a budget or didn't understand this aspect of production being like, okay, got it. Moving on, learning, understanding. I mean, so much of my growth came during that first season of Boomerang. Yeah. Like, which was really like, oh, this is the first time I ever am like going and like being like a lead producer on a project. And there are a lot of people here whose jobs and lives and in, in this project, like it, it lives and dies with with how a producer manages things and a producer doesn't have to know everything but a producer has to be a good manager yeah it's a lot of responsibility and it requires tremendous energy and so i'm curious how you're you've been balancing since you're sort of like in the beginning stages of learning this it sounds like how you're practicing self-care um to sort of fill your well so you can kind of show up and be there right. for everybody else. Oh God, it's such a hard question because this is not something I'm good at. <laughs> not something that I <laughs> practice enough. Uh, like when I do actually take the time to, even if it's just literally reading 15 minutes of a book for pleasure at night after like reading scripts, after going through your emails, after going through everything, that to me, it's just like finding those moments for just myself. Yeah. It's like that it's, um, running uh, uh, Murakami's book. Um, oh my god, I'm gonna totally butcher the title, but it's like wh- what I talk about when I'm talking about running. I mm. think is what the title of it is. What's such this amazing meditative book that I read that like where he's talking about like sort of training for a marathon, 
And that became super influential to me. And so then I started running more and that was like, oh, like that's going to be just any time that I can take to just completely shut off the phone, shut off any sort of communication with the outside world and take that time for myself has been the best version of self-care for me. Yeah. It's a tricky one. It's tricky, but I, I like to ask it because I hope it helps bring it into the forefront. It is such a marathon. This industry is. And if you're in it for the long haul, like you have to find ways to take care of yourself. You have to create those boundaries for yourself now because no one's going to give them to you. And I think it doesn't matter whether you're sort of like a freelance person or you're an in-house person. I think it's just what is required to show up and do your best work is what I've learned. And I definitely struggled with that early on in my career because you are trying to prove yourself and go above and beyond and do all of that stuff. But for me, it was like, man, like, when I'm in, I'm all in, like I'm a thousand percent in. And so it costs yep. so much of my soul, you know, Totally. I think as I get older, I get a little better, but it's, you know, the patterns are still there. It's just, I'm more aware totally. of them now and like knowing what I need <laughs> to like suit up, I guess. It's also just, it's just entertainment. Like that's the other thing too. It's like, I get so caught up in it. Everyone I know gets so caught up in it where you're just like, Oh my God, I need to make this sale. If I need to push this project up the hill. And then it's like, we are, we have the privilege of getting to be storytellers and making movies and making TV shows. And in a lot of ways it's the best job in the world. And so it's okay. It's all, it's all going to be fine. We're going to get there. The deal will close. The production will get to keep going, but it's, it's, it's sometimes hard to see what it's like to see the forest through the trees. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why you said it's important to just step away and zoom out a little bit because yep. we, we can get very caught up in the granular. Also, it's very L.A. I think like getting out of L.A. is so a pretty right. important part of it all. Yes. I think going out into the world and seeing what else is there as I stare into the Netflix building. <laughs> it's like, Which I'm like wondering if there us. are even people in it uh, right now. I don't know. It may it be a few, like but it, probably but not. Maybe like select peeps right. like what you're doing. But totally. do you feel your career so far has defined you like as a producer, as a person and your identity. I think it was very undefined until I got to this job. I think I was sort of all over the place in the things that I was pursuing. And I think now my time at Helmingrad has been defined by, and what I want my career to continue to be defined by is just, you know, giving new artists a platform. Yeah. It's all emerging artists for me. It's all giving, you know, people who've traditionally been othered a voice. Mm-hmm. And I look at it and even like, like I said, Boomerang season one is my first production. Five out of six of my directors had, were coming off of short films and I yeah. never directed mm-hmm. episodes of anything before features before that was really important. Continuing to bring new voices into all the writers rooms that I have the privilege of staffing. Um, you know, we work on a lot of first feature films over here. And so that, that for me is like, it's been wildly rewarding because you get to kick things off and then watch people grow and watch people go on to do a ton of amazing other things, yeah. which has been so cool to see, but also getting to be a part of a lot of those journeys too. And getting to be the one that's there when it's like, yeah, I know this is, we're in a dark place right now, but we are going to get out of it together yeah. and it's going to be awesome. And you're an artist and you deserve to be here. Yeah. And that I think for me, it's like, you know, I, there's, there's nothing else I want to do. Yeah. So if you had a legacy to leave behind, was that what it would be? Yeah, I would say so. Like if I can, as many careers in Hollywood as I could possibly kickstart, I want to. Well, I mean, you guys are walking the walk, you know what I mean? Like for such a short lived company i think you guys have from what i see done so much already for so many voices and it is so exciting like it's always um just like a breath of fresh air to see what the company is up to the kinds of projects you guys are getting behind it's always like oh dang like that's unexpected and cool like right so i'm curious I mean, but i love that you said unexpected there, yeah because that that to me is like the like what I never want is to be like people like, Oh, that show is exactly like Lena's, you know, Thanksgiving episode of master of none. And I'm right. like, cool. I've failed at my job right. completely. <laughs> so, um, no, cause I, and that's the other funny thing is that in terms of submissions we get is I feel like you do one thing in Hollywood. It's like, Oh, like, you know, like Lena told a great coming out story in terms of her own coming out story. And, I get every single coming out story that anyone has ever, ever written, has ever written. Yeah. <laughs> in all of mankind. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And to me, I'm like, okay, well, I mean, Lena did a pretty good job with her coming out story. She actually won an Emmy for her coming out story. 
we're going to probably not do a coming out story again, but you know, we want to continue to surprise people. Yeah. As we're doing like, I love this project that we just set up is by this um, incredible young writer director named Neil Pike. It's the project called reawakening and it's, essentially about earth refugees going to another planet and using genre and sci-fi as a way to talk about colonialism and immigration. Good times. Which is, yeah, no, it's like, it's really cool. And Neil is such like, again, like a superstar, very young writer director who deserves a platform and has been just doing incredible work. But that project is also like, we've never done a big sci-fi show before. Like we haven't like looked at something in such a like grand scope and scale, but I'm like, why the hell not? Why not? And it is protest art, and it feels like very much in line with our brand, but it's just doing it through a, a different lens in yeah. a different space. And so I want to continue to do that for sure and continue to be like the company where you're like, oh, shit, that's a Hillman Crab production? Oh, yeah. That's never saw that coming. So That's awesome. How, how do you think that someone who maybe – because you guys obviously give a lot of first-timers a voice or a shot, but for people who have been in the industry a little bit longer – there's this idea of getting like stuck and not being able to level up or mm-hmm. upward mobility seems like there's always some type of barrier of entry. Like once you think you got totally. in, there's like a, a gates every after gates, you know? So what advice do you have for people who are at that stage in their career? Oh man. It's sort of one of those things that I would almost say to anybody in advance of their first big thing dropping it's like to have sort of like your game plan, your strategy of what you want your next couple of projects to be to have that script in your pocket that's ready to go. Because I think so much of Hollywood is about momentum. You're like mm-hmm. so hot for a second. And I think in that moment where you're so hot, set up like four things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because I mean, I think that's so much of what Lena did, which I was so wildly impressed by. And she did far before I came on to the company, but you know, she took her moment and ran with it. And I think that's for, for anyone who sort of is like on the precipice of having that moment, definitely like capitalize it as best you can know what you want. You know, if you want to go direct a studio movie after you did your first indie feature, go, you know, field all of those. If you have your second movie in your back pocket, that's what you want to do. A lot of artists get stuck to me is when you have that first amazing thing that everyone gets so excited about, then you come in for the meeting with someone. They're like, well, what do you want to do next? And they're like, I don't know. Mm. And, <laughs> and I know it's so hard to just like have that thing lined up. Cause you just probably spent the last 10 years focused yeah. on this one project that you wanted yeah. to happen so badly that it's like, it's like the sophomore slump is so real. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there's like thinking beyond that, thinking about the terms of your career and what kind of, you know, if you want to be a director, what sort of director you want to be, if you want to be a writer, what kinds of things do you want to write yeah. and making sure that you and your reps and your team have a, like a big game plan going into anything. Cause I've watched so many things people like sort of fizzle out and having a producer or team or a manager, whoever it is that is like, you know, with you throughout that first drop who also can be like supportive and an advocate for you as you continue to move forward in your career. And it's like, I do think like loyalty pro- to producers is a, is a smart thing. Amen. And I think that like, <laughs> you know, cause if they're with you through your scrappy $250,000 production, you definitely want them by your side and yeah. the, your $5 million production, then your $30 million production and your yeah. $150 million production. Exactly. And, and I think there's like this desperation sometimes and like, Oh, I just got to find a producer, any producer. I just yeah. It's like, if there's a certain amount of time it takes to find those right collaborators that speak your love language, you totally. know what I mean? That are gonna like be with you, be your ride or dies in that sense. And I, I find sometimes people that are just starting out don't really see that yet. And yeah. they make the mistakes of working with, people who you know there are a lot of people who call themselves producers and are not doing shit yeah. and that is unfortunate because it totally clouds up what everybody else is is doing and it's like and it's always going to be a grind i mean like I know. The that's, hustle the, is that's the thing too it's like i think in even some of like the biggest biggest stars in the world to me still grind to find the right thing or get the passion project off the ground and so i think it's like the expectation that you have one movie that gets into a festival that everyone's talking about and that Hollywood is going to open the coffers to you and all, you know, everything is going to be like sunshine and rainbows is unfortunately not the case either. Cause I think to make any piece of great art and not just get thrown onto another project, it, it takes time and effort and energy and creativity. And yeah. Yeah. It's, um, 
It's not an easy business. It's not easy. Yeah. For as light and as it can be, because it is just entertainment. Like I said, I think it requires tremendous energy and stamina to withstand the heartbreak and truly the grief of like loss of relationships, loss of projects that never happened, projects you did get to help make, but you don't get a credit on like all of that shit like is real and it weighs on you. And like every producer I know, especially people who've come up the indie side are like, is there anything else I could be doing? Cause I would go do it if I knew what that was, right. you know, cause it's really hard. And I wanted to start this show because I think sometimes people see your Instagram or they see the, the, the 1% of moments, right. Where you're like on the red carpet or at a festival or yeah. with a glass of champagne at a party. And they think that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And that is like such a small celebration of the, the right. breath of it, you know, <laughs> that most people don't get to see. Yeah. There, are, there are a whole lot of easier ways to not make money <laughs> than doing this job. Uh, I know, but it's, it's, it's a great investment of a life, I think, if you're in it for the right reasons. And hopefully totally you get agree. rich along the way. For Everybody totally. should. But I do want to get into, you know, in this time of the Black Lives Matter movement, as a company that has already been so progressive in this topic of inclusion and diversity, how do you think that this movement will help you guys pivot? And what does that even look like for you guys? Yeah, I mean... It's been, I mean, I think like watching Lena in this moment has been, I mean, I adore her and I admire her so much, but seeing the way she has doubled down in the last few weeks and being like, we are here, we are important, fuck you, let us make this, yeah. you know, like yeah. has been awesome. And I think that so represents the mentality of this company and like, yeah, we and it's funny to see all these sort of petitions go by to like, you know, like read one black person's thing this week. And it's like, <laughs> okay. Like, you know, like you look at our roster of writers and directors and it is the vast majority of people on that we work with are young black artists. And so continuing to fight, continue to be advocates, continue to be a platform people. And I think hopefully studios and networks who have been posting sort of solidarity, social media posts can look at the companies in Hollywood that are walking the walk, whether it's us or ESA's company or macro or any of these really, really great peer production companies to us and think, Oh, you know, maybe we should be paying more attention. Maybe we should be, you know, giving a second thought to the submissions that come our way from these institutions that Mm -hmm. are literally here to amplify black stories. Yep. Um, And I've sort of found you know, I'm like I said, I'm a brown guy that is the president of a masculine presenting queer black woman's company. And even within that context, I have been learning how to be a better ally and learning how to understand that there's a difference between the phrase people of color and the black community when you're referencing black people. And that I have to do my part and people of color who are not black also have to do their part in terms of continuing to turn around and be like, this is not you know, this isn't about me right now. This is about us all coming together as a country and continue to amplify black voices and black storytellings and black perspectives and black POVs. Because I do think that fundamentally, if we put more of those stories out into the world, you start to change things in the same way that you and I have been talking during this conversation about how much media affects everything. Like the more stories of black life in America that you can put out there in all of its joy and pain and trauma and beauty, you can actually, I think give people a window into an existence that they didn't understand or maybe had a certain perception of, or, you know, for the people that move to the other side of the street, when they see a black man walking down the street Mm -hmm. to be able to show that person's story and their struggles and what they're going through as a human being, is going to be massively impactful. Yeah. Well, you normalize it, right? And the more that it's around, it's no longer like, oh, that's the black movie. That's that. Yeah. It's just like, no, this is just a story that happens to be yeah. from the perspective of this individual. Totally. And it be- becomes something that we can all identify with. It's funny, like, you know, I've never been one to not identify with the character because of their race. I've never been right. like, oh, this is like a person in India. Like, I don't know that experience. Let me shut this <laughs> off. You know what I mean? Like, because I, I don't know, to my detriment, I feel 
things too deeply. Right. You know, I've, the human experience is fascinating to me. And I love that we get to shine a light on other people's journeys that most people will never get to walk in those shoes through the stories we choose to tell. And totally. and it's it's such an opportunity for like education, disguises, oh, totally. entertainment. We and, constantly talk about the phrase putting the pill in with the peanut butter over here <laughs> <laughs> and just being like... Yeah. And it doesn't have to be medicine. Like yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't have to ever feel like you're you're watching like you know an educational PSA. Right. It, we're just trying to get stories told. Yeah. And so that that for me, it's like it, it's more than anything else. This this past few weeks have been a good reinforcement. Yeah. Of a mission that we already have in place, and with the hope and dream being that. The people that are in power as distributors and buyers of yeah. content have taken these past few weeks to light and are really going to put their money where their mouths are in terms of showing solidarity through the storytelling that they're willing to put out into the world. I think it's a wonderful time to sort of reflect and renewal our own sort of vows to the kinds of storytellers we want to be and where we want to put our energy and our one precious life, you know, to, to help bring these stories to life. And I, totally. I feel very privileged that I get to do that and be a part of this narrative and this conversation and using the little power and access I have to share stories of other producers and other For people, sure. you know, and to continue to do the work that I have already been doing. But this was like a right, 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 right. right. This is why I'm here. Right. Exactly. Right. right, right. This no, is totally. why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, unless you have anything else you want to touch on. Well, I think I have to give you a memoir title. You do. All right. So my memoir title is brown boy learns a lot of things the life story i love it the life story <laughs> well thank you so much like i am so grateful for your time and no of course thank you so much for having energy. me of course of course and thank you guys for listening and that's this week's episode thank you so much for tuning in and doing this life thing with me week after week if you like the show please subscribe rate review wherever it is you get your podcast tell a friend tag a friend and hit me up on the socials I'm at Carolina Gropa, the show's at Life with Kaka, and I'll see you next week. Beijo.